Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we talk about that film, review it and discuss some of the themes and ideas it throws up. We're currently doing our season three and we are picking a director each month and discussing their work, their, their filmography. And we are currently in the Sofia Coppola month and we are picking up with her 2006 film Marie Antoinette, but more on that later. We also like to steal our show with what else have you been watching, a chance for us to plug or decry and other things that we have uh, sort of watched or listened to or read in the last week since we last recorded. So Sam, since we last spoke, have you got anything you want to talk about? Right, well I'm pleased that I changed the title of the section to this week's media some time ago uh, because I'm not going to talk about anything that I've watched uh, because I haven't really watched anything. Um, I'm going to talk about a book that I read. Um, I'm in the process of reading a book called Ella Minnow P, which it sounds really obvious because I've just read it out for you, but it's not immediately obvious if you look at the title. Um, it's about a young woman called Ella Minnow P, but it's all to do with an increasingly ridiculous oppressive regime in the um, sea, quite just off the coast of America, um, on an island where they worship a guy who invented the pangram, the quick ground fox jumps over the lazy dog, and it gradually letters drop off the statue of him with this pangram at the base of it. And the island elders take this as a sign that you should stop using that letter in everyday conversation. And it's about the bizarre Orwellian fallout from that. Um, and Mark Dunn, who wrote it, is, is himself following these rules. So as, as the islanders lose various letters, so you lose various letters from what he, what he writes. Um, so it's... it's interesting idea and also just a fun read so that's what i'm enjoying this year i'll say this i'll say this i think if anyone listens to recommendations um not this week for me but generally for you and me like if you see why you're an english professor <laughs> I'm I'm a filmmaker. Like there's a, I mean, I'm just going. That would be really hard to read. But you're like, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. <laughs> yes. And here I am recommending yeah. obscure films I've ever heard of. Um, so what, what's your obscure film this week? Well, the, the, this is where I kind of uh, I, I stab myself in the back a little bit because I haven't got an obscure film this week. Yeah. Um, I've got a massively popular TV series. Um, so the I'm sure I plugged season one way, way back when it was on. Uh, but season two has resumed the tale of Westworld. Um, those who don't know, or I can't imagine at this point you wouldn't know either movie or TV show, it is about a Western-styled theme park in which there are hosts who are humanoid-looking robots. And the story of the movie and the first season is about the slow awakening and the coming to consciousness of these robots and the fallout of that. Um, season one ended with a sort of a big change in the nature of the park and season two is picking up the fallout of that. It's very much a, for one to work, to work, a puzzle show. There are twists and turns to the story that it lays groundwork for and you try, you can figure it out and all that sort of thing. But it's, it, it's asking you to figure out what's going on um, and speculate on it. It's that kind of show. Um, being a big puzzle nerd myself, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love this kind of, you know, what am I seeing here? What's going on with it? 
but it's also filled with amazing performances from Evan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, and Harris. Um, this season, they haven't got the advantage of having uh, sort of someone like um, <coughs> uh, and Hopkins uh, as any bit of beef, but uh, he uh, he's only helped in the first season. And Daniel Newton is certainly a standout character. But it's just it's just great TV, um, and if you're anything a bit more cerebral, um, it's it's certainly up there with that. Great. Well, I Westworld is one of the things that I've missed and meant to catch up on, and then got disheartened by the fact that it wasn't on the viewing platform that I was using. So, at some point, I will watch all of Westworld, I'm sure, um, sometime in the 2030s, when my son has left home. <laughs> right then, so, folks, this week we, as Rob mentioned earlier, continuing our Sophia Coppola series, and we are taking on her next big screen film, Marie Antoinette. Friendship between Austria and France must be cemented by marriage. <laughs> My youngest daughter, Antoine, will be Queen of France. It is a custom that the bride retain nothing belonging to a foreign court. You represent the future. All eyes will be on you. Marie Antoinette is the 2006 follow-up to Lost in Translation. I don't know if she did the thing in between, but it's certainly the next cinema release. It stars Kirsten Dunst as the beautiful, young, ill-fated French queen. And it performs a sort of, I suppose, revisionist presentation of the queen's life in a self-consciously up-to-date style aimed at a young demographic. There's Abel Sport from Jason Schwartzman, Steve Coogan, Rose Byrne, Shirley Henderson and others, but this is essentially a movie for an actor that Coppola herself has described as her muse, Kirsten Dunst. So, Rob, your thoughts? I think I've gone record in the past and saying that I, I've given a lot of things in movies. Anyone who listens to me on Twitter knows that I will love a cult movie, a love of obscure, badly made, badly acted movie. I have a lot of love for these films. But I have very little tolerance for his films being dull. And this film was dull. It was a crashing... I, I'm missing this before, this was a, a first viewing for me. And it was a crashing realisation that the director of one of my favourite films of all time... Uh, I can't say this until last week. Translation means so much to me that she followed it up with this, where she seems to have learnt all the wrong lessons from the excessive translation. And the film is turgid and dull and obsessed with the minutiae of, of a life that goes nowhere. The film doesn't say anything about this life that they lead. It seems, as you say, it's revisionist and it seems to kind of purposefully ignore, shall we say, one of the larger aspects of, of Marantonet's um, life that even always seems sanitised in its approach to the ending of the story in which we see her exiled but uh, before anything really horrible happens to her. It just felt like I was wading through treacle to get a movie down. I was just bored out of my mind watching this movie. It was just 
Yeah, it, it was beautiful. I, I cannot fault the the, the 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 art direction of this movie, the cinematography, the costuming, certainly, and and, and that thing was amazing. But somehow it just didn't click for me. It didn't somehow come together in that same way. Um, so yeah, it, it just didn't do anything for me um, in any sort of sort of sense. You know, it, knowing obviously the the fate of Man Internet is is a well known thing, and within about ten minutes of the movie, I was waiting for that moment. Mm. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Mm. It was just <laughs> um, I felt cheated there. What about you, Sam? What, what were your thoughts? Uh, well. <laughs> Much the same as yours, to be honest. Um, and think things I liked about it, as as you said, it it looks beautiful, and kind of that Gerson Dunst wink at the camera at the beginning. You think is there going to be something metafilmic about it? It's going to be quite fun, but I mean, I think the best thing and. You, the best summary I can have of my review of this film is that within five minutes of and and watching um, Kirsten Dunst being taken to the French border from Austria, I was seriously thinking and went on Wikipedia to find out about the date of which glass was introduced to Europe. <laughs> I, I was one, wondering whether or not it was it was historically realistic for her to be leaning against a glass with a carriage, because it was just so dull. And that did not, it, it did not let up. The whole of the film was like that. Um, so, yeah, I've found a lot out about the use of glass in the Middle Ages and the history of French monarchs in in the 18th century, but I can't say I particularly enjoyed this film much. This was definitely a film where I saw it with one eye on on the internet, on my phone. I, I agree with that. I think I, I, I got to the point where I was literally reading her story on Wikipedia, mm. um, thinking, is this it? Um, and, yeah. and I want to say, I want to pick up something you said there. That this film, like this, is always where it was so frustrating for me. Is the film had these flashes of doing something. You, that opening scene in which she's lying there with, you know, with a a servant doing her shoes up, she eats. You know, the decadence of that shot was we're like, oh, brilliant! You know, it's something interesting happened here. It's going to be something vaguely punky, vaguely you know alternative, you know, combustible in, in its approach. But then it wasn't. And then there was this, this amazing sequence in which they try on shoes. Mm. Um, and these kind of occasional bursts of of modern music and pop music and this idea of you know, this kind of French pop star, if, if you want to go down that route. Mm. But it just didn't go any further than that. It just didn't do anything. And then it would shift back to these slow, turgid sequences of court protocol and her loveless marriage. And it just felt... I suppose, the, for want of a better word, it felt overly indulgent. Uh, Sofia Coppola has often been a, sort of tarnished with the idea she is a a spoilt rich white girls director. Mm. And if you look at the the, th- the three films we've seen over the last few weeks, there's certainly a through line of you know the you know, the, the, the listlessness of, of well off girls kind of going up from you know, s- you know suburban middle class to you know clearly quite a well off person in um, relation to here ultimately the Queen of France. And the idea of of the that they're still lonely and they still have problems despite being these these poor rich girls, and it was just somehow here it didn't click for me. It just felt 
Mm. Yeah, didn't care. Yeah. I think, as I say, d- dullness is, is my one unfeelable sin in a film. And it just, it's a shame because, as you say, they, there's a lot to like in this film. There's a lot of good things in this film. Um, but mm. somehow it just didn't, doesn't come together. I, I suppose we, we could talk a lot about what we didn't like about this film and, and we could spend the whole podcast doing that. And I don't, I, I'd like to move away from that because, like you said, there are some really interesting things that this film is talking about. I mean, it's not necessarily a good film, but it talks about some interesting things. Um, and mm. one, one of those I was struck by was... I mean, it made really obvious the, um, I suppose, the archaic patriarchal institutions around the court. So when you have the um, king, his his grandfather giving a toast at the marriage, it's all about welcoming her as a daughter who is going to produce children to further the line of France. Mm. You think, well, that's, that's as you said, there, there are flashes of some really good things here, and that's something that I, I would have liked them to, like, like people to focus more on. And another thing is that, is the decadence throughout this, and you have those, and um, that scene of the shoes, and then scenes of conspicuous consumption with the, with the party, and then... That that was something really nice about the party actually. When when she says to, it's I think it's her eighteenth birthday party, and she says to him, "Let's do this," and he he decides that he doesn't want anything to do with it. And then you see later on they're watching the sunrise, noticeably without him. But there there's something really interesting about it, that that she is she mm. wants to be she wants to be an adolescent. And he's not letting her be that because he has to be the king of France. Yes, yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, when the, the king dies and he's like, oh, dear Lord, we're too young to reign. And, like, that's mm. true. Like, he, they clearly are. They are still kids. And it felt like there's a weird, see, an accuracy moment. I mean, like, you're the queen. And then we have a birthday party. Mm. And you know, I know that like, these days we are we are afforded a a longer adolescence than certainly back then. But you know, to become queen of France and then have your eighteenth birthday party, um, and he's only I think slightly older than her. Um, yeah. So it, it's certainly you know, and obviously the actors and actresses are a little bit older than those characters. But it's like suddenly this sort of weird clashing moment of which, like, oh, she is, she is young, and I but I, I appreciate the idea of a more sentimental approach. And it's almost playing up of the idea. She is this young girl out of, out of place. And like the, that opening sequence we have, not the, the very opening sequence, but the, the, the main opening sequence of her traveling from Austria to France. And this sort of bizarre kind of prisoner handover S moment in which mm. she enters, enters a tent from Austria and then leaves in France. And this idea that she's she's literally stripped naked of everything that came with her, her dog, her friends, and ultimately all her clothes. And she ends up this, this like, literally alone in this place. And I think the film, you know, there's a, there's a whole sequence in which she's getting dressed. And she's sitting there and she's, like, trying to get dressed, but there's all this, who has the honour of putting, handing her the clothes? Um, and whoever walks into the room who is more um, senior gets to move up the chain. And it becomes this elaborate sort of, 
farce of manners um, that, that that kind of mm. goes on and on and on. The idea of like she's there naked, and like this is you see how this has evolved. Um, and there's a moment later on, I think, at one of the parties, and when a couple say, "Well, how are we supposed to live in this place? We don't enter our position." And it is it's that kind of orderly world in which they live and she brings an element of chaos to that certainly there's a, there's a scene in which she they're seeing a play and she claps and they don't clap and she don't know you clap you clap and because she's queen or that thing she points she's dolphin um everyone goes with her and claps long and this sort of hmm. infectious injection of anarchy in this world um that they're certainly trying to play up and then obviously over time that kind of comes up against real anarchy um, and it's, it's shut down. That's actually that's, that's a great point because this is what you see from her is anarchy, like you said, but it's highly structured anarchy. Mm. She can't, she can't actually, um, she can't really rebel because no. she's the queen. If she's the dauphine, and then she's the queen, like she's. She can say, well, I want to have a party in this way and I want to have loads of champagne at this party. But she can't say, let's tear down the walls and um, overthrow the monarchy as the anarchists do at the end. And you think, well, there's something, there's a loneliness. As you said, you you touched on the loneliness at the beginning in this. I, I think actually that is the best scene in the film and it kind of goes quite quickly downhill from there. Mm. But the the scene with the handover with the tent when she moves from Austria to France, there's something about her loneliness there that he, that that's what you have throughout this film. She is I mean, she she's not alone because she has people with her, but she is so very lonely. Those moments when she is rejected by her husband or she is addressed angrily by her brother mm. or she gets letters from her mother and you think she is so very alone at this point or the the deaths later on, the deaths of her mother or of her son and you think, well, she is alone in this world. Yeah, I, I think that that's a very interesting thing that's trying to play up. But I think it also at some point weirdly undercuts that. Um, and this is the thing that I, I just, I think, not watching Harkon Winter, like a film film didn't come together. But they go off this masked ball in Paris. And this is a lovely moment. She's like, well, mm. you know, she's like, oh, we can't go. There won't be a formal reception. And they're like, well, it's a masked ball. No one will know. And it's a lovely idea. Like the, the king and queen sneaking off to a, um, a masked ball with masks on. So no one knows who they are. But her mask is a little bit of see-through cloth. Mm. And they, everyone clearly knows she's a dolphin. Um, and it's yeah. like she clearly chose that as a mask. Um, the king's mask is far more thorough as her her, her companions, and it's kind of like you not you can't have it both ways because obviously she's a complex character. But it's kind of like you wanted a moment of anonymity. You don't really want anonymity. You just want to be free of these shackles. You still want all the money and fame and renown that uh, mm. comes with your position. You just also want the freedom that doesn't come with it. As you said, she is. She's a hugely complex character, but this is something that Hovler doesn't really get at. I mean, she doesn't get at that idea that this is someone hiding behind a mask of anarchy who doesn't really want to be anarchistic at all Mm. in any way. And she's 
she is someone who has absolutely everything and yet is lacking the one thing she does want. And Cobbler doesn't really get that at get to any of that at all and that's what's really frustrating about this film but I mean if if I was to take a more uh, sympathetic reading of the film I think there's a a, a great parallel there between the marionette and the film itself the idea that you know the film is you know look look at the posters and look at the sort of the trailers around it it's meant to be this kind of anarchic punky film you know meant to be the poster is literally neon pink and blues and all that sort of thing and yeah, the the, the, film, the titles look very much like a Sex Pistols album cover. Exactly, and the film, but the film slews, you know, tries to have these breakout moments of anarchy, but it's still tied to this world, this rigid formal period drama world that we know. You know, this is still the Crown. It's still upstairs, downstairs. It's all that kind of you know period. I watch them a lot. You can see I run out of names pretty faster. Um, but it's still that same kind of formula. And you know, the attempts to break out and do different things are coming up against this wall of tradition and wall of, in this case, a cinematic language that everyone understands. And there's a mirroring there between Marinette's role of, of wanting to be a young girl and do things and live a life coming up against this wall of tradition and how the world works. And the fact that you, your desire to live a different way, that can't happen because the rest of the world can't even conceive of doing it a different way. And then you've got the mirroring of the film and the character come together. Hmm. I think I'm being kind yeah. there with the reading, but I think there is a, a, a you can see a comparison there between this, this, the, the tension between a formality of her life and the a filmic form and the, the anarchy and the sort of the willingness to push boundaries of her life and the film itself. Hmm. I don't think it works, yeah. but I think there's an attention there. Yeah, you have a couple of attempts by this one, and another one is um, the the famous. <laughs> who knows whether it was a gradation or a misgradation at the meat cake, mm. um, and you have them playing with that, and and Kirsten Dunst says, "I never said that," and you think, "Well, just for a moment there, you've got something interesting because." She says, oh, what are they saying about me this week? And they, there are all these stories that come out about her. And you think, that says something really interesting about celebrity, mm. about the interaction or the, the troubled relationship between the aristocracy and or celebrity culture nowadays and the media as well, media portrayal of that. And you think they, they could have, could have done something really interesting with that and 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 it didn't quite get there i think that, that that's if we come back to sort of my before we move on that is my overall kind of not problem in the film but my disappointment in the film is the film just flirts with really interesting ideas it has moments mm. when it touches on like, oh yeah. that's really like you could do something like that the film could say something um or try and explore something and it never quite click comes together um, and yeah, it, it just flirts with them, then moves on. And she's kind of like, "Oh, you could have, you could have done something there." No, never mind. Um, and yeah, then that, that was kind of where I kind of came against it. Well, you can console yourself with the fact that it's quite pretty. It was very it looks pretty. Nice. It was that. Right then. So, Rob, do you have anything better for us to think about this week? I'll go. Let's go with interesting um, as well as that. So. I've gone two places with this film recommendation this week. Uh, neither of them are sort of thematic. Both are sort of crew, cast and crew. First up is 
and I'm going to utterly brutalise his name. I'm very, very sorry. I'm sure anyone who's French can correct me. But the art director of the film was Pierre Dubois Berenger. I believe that's right. Um, I'll put the link down below in the, in the show notes. Um, Pierre, Pierre, Pierre. Now, he hasn't done loads as an art director, but he did do a film a couple of years before Marionette that I really loved. And it comes up occasionally, but it doesn't get a lot of um, sort of attention. And that's The Dreamers. Uh, directed by, by Bernardo Bertolucci. It is essentially the tale of uh, some French, some American in Paris, sort of meets some, some French brother and sister and ends up in this weird kind of menage a trois love triangle in sort of bohemian 60s Paris. Um, it is very of the era. It's got uh, Michael Pitt, Eva Green, and Louise Garel as the three main characters. Um, and it is very in that kind of lost youth style film. Um, it's of the same, of the same era as Marionette. And it's probably a closer parallel in themes to something like Lost in Translation. But it's always more action than that. But it is a beautiful film. It evokes that era and it evokes that kind of time and place to little details. And I think, as whilst I have not been able to comprehend this film, the art direction of it was spot on. The or I can't speak to accuracy, but it, it brought you into that world very clearly. The clothes, the shoes, the food, the building, literally, was the real Versailles. But you have that same kind of the details sell it in a way that uh, I think really helps it. And it's the same in the Dreamers. The other one I want to put forward is there were two characters in this film that I really did like, um, and then it might be the kind of the tension between them, and that was. Uh, Louis V and his um, and his uh, whorehouse uh, mistress, the Comtesse de Barry. Um, Comtesse de Barry was played by Asia Asia Argento, um, daughter of the famed Italian horror uh, movie maker. But she has gone on to make her own films and be in many things over the years. And she was in a film from uh, two thousand and four, so I think two years before Manchester, which she wrote. Um, what she wrote and directed and starred in. And it's a film called The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things. And it is the tale of a young character, young child who is pulled out of care um, and sent on the road with her, with his teenage mother, um, who played by Asia, who can't obviously function. She's a teenage mother and she isn't doing very well. It is kind of Southern fried noir in many ways. Um, there's, Great support in the film from Kit Bardot, from Jeremy Renner, who's already gone on to do much bigger uh, and brighter things. Um, Peter Fonda's in it as, as a small character. And it's a weird film, um, but it has some interesting things to say about motherhood, about childhood, and about sort of surviving in the modern world. It's another one that uh, isn't often gotten a lot, gets a lot of love or gets a lot of attention, but uh, I really dug it. It's not for everybody, um, but if you haven't seen it and you're interested in something more, slightly more interesting, Slightly more, um, what's the word, edgy, um, for want of a better word, I'd certainly recommend checking out The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things. What about you, Sam? Right, well, I have two films, um, 20 years apart, both driven by women, um, and they are at the opposite ends of the scale in terms of Bob's tolerance, so you're going to love one of these and really hate the other one. Um, so we'll start with one you like and it's a thematic connection and thinking about ideas about um, teenagehood and 
what it means to be a young girl and perhaps loneliness and bullshiness and anarchy of a sort. Um, it's the 1995 film Clueless, which I know we both like. Um, How can you not? It's yes. brilliant. Uh, secondly, uh, you're going to hate this, but um, one of um, Kirsten Dunst's attendants and the Duchess of Polignac, I think, is played by Rose Byrne, who was in 2015's Spy. And I have chosen this. <sighs> you're doing so well. You're doing I've chosen so well. this purely to annoy you. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair that's, that's what friends are for um, yes I, I actually quite enjoyed this I mean you know about Rob's feelings for Melissa McCarthy films but you know what I thought it was, it was a lot of fun so those are my recommendations this week from the sublime the ridiculous clueless and spy so that's our show guys thanks for listening to this week uh, we'll be back next week with the conclusion of our Sofia Coppola season her 2017 her most recent film The Beguiled starring Colin Farrell Nicole Kidman Kirsten Dunst Elle Fanning it tells the tale of uh, a house full of women who come in contact with a confederate soldier and the uh, machinations and impact of that if you like our show we really appreciate your support we have a patreon for the entire network for Kojo FM so if you like this show if you like any of our other shows like Lawmasters or the Space Continuum if you can throw a dollar or a couple of dollars our way it really helps us get the lights on it really helps us pay all the bills and keep this show coming to you you can find it if you go to Kojo.fm you click on the button that says support us it'll take you through to our page till then guys we'll be back next week you can find us both on Twitter at Pretty Podcast you can find me at life underscore academic and you can find me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you back here next week.